starting crying before I'm even speaking. <laughs> Father God, thank you that you've anointed these words. Thank you that they're not mine, they're yours. I want to start with an image. And this is an image taken and adapted from the book, Cry of the Wounded Land. Close your eyes and think of this. The Māori people are the majority. They're in charge and full control. Your land has been taken off you by a Māori politician. The politician is law savvy. He knows how to twist the policies for his benefit. You feel so powerless. The Māori politician gives you a small piece of land at the bottom of your property. It is in the shade, in the cold, damp area by the riverbed. He lets you and your partner live in the little shack. He says you should be grateful. You get angry and demand legal support. But the courts ignore you, laugh at you, stall you, and then refer you to another court. You run out of money to fight. The Māori politician understood the court system. You didn't. You just want your land back. Soon your life is consumed by fighting to get your land back. You lose your business and become depressed. Not long after, you die an early death, sick from heartbreak, the cold and the damp. Now what do you think happened to your sons? They became angry. Angry about how their stolen land was responsible for your early death angry that their inheritance had been stolen from them. They turned to violence, vandalism and alcohol. When they were younger, they threw stones at the windows of your own home, angry at being evicted. When older, they broke, they broke in and stole what they thought was theirs. They tried to burn the place down. They were angry for losing the fight, for getting sick. They were angry at each other and their families. Their anger consumed them. They spent more time fighting and drinking to numb the hurt and less and less time working. They became poor and undisciplined. Their father had been crushed and their inheritance stolen. And what do you think happened to their sons, your grandchildren? They were even worse. Born into families consumed with anger and frustration. Born into poverty. Born into families living in the cold, dark, damp down by the river and being told that that big house up on top of the hill was rightfully theirs. And what happened to the Māori politician? He died eventually and was buried where you were planning on being buried, on the land stolen from you. And his sons? Wealthy. Their life was great. Your sons made it a little difficult for them, but they were able to have them controlled and punished enough to keep themselves happy and safe up on the property on the hill. Māori and Pākehā, the bitter divide. Tonight I want to talk on reconciliation, unity in our people. As I was praying on what to speak on, I felt strongly to share this conversation. I believe that we are coming to a detrimental point in our time where we as a church need to stand in unity with our Māori brothers and sisters. I want you to think of a marriage. In a marriage, you don't decide what the problem is and then tell the other. In a marriage, you ask them what the problem is. To then solve the decided problem, each partner needs, to, needs um, to ask the other for their take. One side cannot decide what the problem is, not on their own. 
A problem is created by two people. And for a resolution, both must join forces to locate and solve the problem. God desires a marriage between the two peoples. Currently, it is as though our marriage is at war with each other. We admire each other, we're attracted to each other, and yet we mistrust each other and feel hurt by the other. We don't know how to act in this marriage. The journey of learning Tereo and the, and the Māori worldview is not just a trend to follow or something to be used as tokenism. It is a lifelong commitment. My heart longs for unity among the people and I desire for it to be first shown in the church. So I'm a student studying youth development through praxis and a large component of our course is understanding biculturalism. Last block course, we flew up to Lake Tapo, where we stayed in a marae for a week and delved into the ins and outs of the Treaty of Waitangi. And while I'd done bicultural training before, it had never impacted me in such a strong way. Sitting in a class, I heard my fellow Māori classmates speak through their tears of the hurt and brokenness from what my ancestors ancestors did 178 years ago. I was disturbed, confused, uncomfortable. I didn't understand the Māori worldview. Bluntly, I didn't know what it was like to care what my great-great-great-grandfather did. It didn't affect me. But that's not what the Māori worldview is. Their whakapapa, their past ancestry, is what brings them here today. It is what defines them. Whakapapa captures the pure essence of the Māori culture. For me, deeply understanding what that means changes the scene for me. It's not as simple as just letting go of the past and moving forward. The goal of unity is a big one. We are two people who hold differing worldviews. And as long as we remain closed-minded inside our comfort zone, no unity will be seen. Looking at the Māori worldview, you can understand the resentment that some Māori may hold against Pākehā, for it was the missionaries, ancestors, our ancestors, who backed the treaty, who told them it was a safe and right thing to do. In the Māori eyes, we are defined and we follow the footsteps of our ancestors, so why would we now be any different? I have no Māori blood in me. I'm fully Pākehā, fully English. And growing up, I used that as my excuse for for not needing to understand the Māori worldview, the language and the culture. I honestly didn't see the point. Why, Why use a dead language? Looking back now, I cringe at my naivety and feel disappointed by my closed mindedness Tereo is not a dead language. Yeah, it could die if we give up on it. But in this season, it is being rebirthed in the most painful and beautiful way. It is a fighter. Anyway, today is another conversation, <laughs> another time. And when I was thinking about the point of this message, I was wondering what I can hope you walk away with. I hope you leave this room feeling challenged and possibly feeling uncomfortable or empowered as you choose. I hope that you see the raw beauty and unity and how it takes us working together as one big whānau family all over Aotearoa. And I hope you see God's heart in this. He desires us to unite together. And if you're keeping notes, here's something to write down. Again, paraphrase, paraphrase from the book, Cry of the Wounded Land. No one people group has the whole truth. God would never allow that because then that one group would become too powerful. The need to gain more truth and greater knowledge keeps each group focused and less dangerous to themselves and others. Europeans are hungry for logic and strategy whereas the indigenous people are more intuitive, 
more able to see and understand the things that cannot be seen. Every race is given strengths to balance each other out from becoming too powerful. Māori and Pākehā need each other. The Treaty of Waitangi was a covenant between two peoples. It was a promise to each other to protect, serve and to unite together. And do you know who the backbone of the treaty was? It was us, the Christians. For months after the treaty was written, the church went around the tribes and chiefs collecting their signatures. Doesn't that make us responsible for, the, for failing the Māori people and keeping the treaty covenant? Covenant means death to oneself and the serving of our own interests. What would it look like laying aside all cultural superiority on both sides and listening to what Jesus said, and no greater love is there than this to lay down one's life for his brother, seeking each other's highest in the spirit of Christian forgiveness and reconciliation. So I'm going to pose the question, why should we, um, a predominantly white church, care about the Treaty of Waitangi? It is a question that, again, I was challenging myself with earlier this year. And it was fascinating when I found in the Bible something that sort of related to it. So in Joshua 9-10, beginning in in the story of the Gibeonites. So long story short, the Gibeonites had heard what Joshua had done to Jericho. and, And they decided that rather than fight a war, they would submit and offer peace. They dressed up in rags and presented themselves in front of Joshua saying that they had come from afar and want to sign a peace treaty. Joshua agreed, and they, the two parties, signed a covenant before God. The Gibeonites became neighbours. Now fast forward 400 years, where we find ourselves in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 21, where there's a famine during the reign of David. It has been going on for three years. David cried out to God, asking why this was happening. And God replied, saying, It is on account of Saul and his bloodstained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. I want to sit on that for a moment. Here we are in New Zealand, 178 years since the Treaty of Waitangi was signed. Two parties making a promise in the presence of God. That promise was not kept. We, the Pakiha people, let our Māori brothers and sisters down. And currently we have some of the poorest mental health certificates statistics in the OCED countries. There is poverty in one in seven New Zealand homes and 27% of children live in poverty. Dare I say we could compare these statistics to that of a famine. We say that because this is a story from the Old Testament, the wrongdoings don't stand anymore because Jesus died forgiving all of their sins. And yes, I do agree with that. But I believe that the land still cries out. The Bible mentions the land as a feeling thing many times. It speaks of the land leaping for joy, clapping its hands and singing. And when the land is feeling that way, the people are happy too. It also speaks of the land being subjected to frustration and groaning aching under the pain of the fallen world. So wouldn't it make sense that under the dishonour of the treaty, the land cries out in sadness? Can we expect to see a massive move of God through our country when we are not honouring the treaty or covenant our ancestors made before him? The next question is how. How do we begin honouring that treaty? 
I want to make clear that um, this is a journey and, all, and simply that all that matters is that we don't stop walking it. I don't have all the answers or know all the right things to do, but I know a place to start. Begin first by simply saying the Māori names correctly. A name means a lot. If you feel challenged to continue exploring this journey, I encourage you to start conversations with the tangata whenua, the people of the land and the Māori, and talk to each other too. Talk to them and spend time standing in their shoes. And if you want to take it further, there's, there's free te reo classes held all over Christchurch. I'm beginning one next year. <laughs> um, God desires for us to be in marriage with each other, both on the same level, giving of each other's strengths, covering of each other's weaknesses. I want my church to be a safe place for future Māori young people. I want to see a value system consist- consciously in align with the treaty. I want to hear songs and te reo being sung out from our building. God wants us to be hospitable people. My home is your home. This is just the beginning. The ball is in your court now. It is up to you to, with what you want to do with this. Um, thank you for listening to that part of my heart. Um, and I just, I just want to pray, and I want to pray for everyone, but I really want to give an opportunity um, for those that feel really convicted to be able to stand and commit to a response in continuing this journey of um, te reo and learning the Māori worldview and um, reconciliation with the Treaty of Waitangi. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give the opportunity to you if this is something that you want to commit to a response to learning te reo, to um, doing what you feel is right in the reconciliation. I'm going to ask you to stand. Father God, thank you for this space tonight. Thank you for the beginning of this conversation. Father, I just declare that you'll just come onto each of us and just speak and show us what our individual part is um, to bring us as a family, as a whānau together as one, to continue and possibly reach that reconciliation that so desperately is needed, Father. I thank you, Father, that we've been made each unique, every race, every culture, with beautiful and special and needed um, parts and talents, Father. I declare this church, this home, to be a place where we can all come as one, where we can unite and feel at home. Thank you, Father, for the space that's continuing, Lord.